0: Or Judges chapter 10 verse 6. It says again, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, and the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served Him, He became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years... They oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Moanites oppressed you and you cried to help for me, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods. So I will no longer save you. That's a tough one to deal with. Verse 14 says, go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you. When you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best. But please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, Whoever will take the lead, and attacking the Ammonites will be head over all who live in Gilead. Don't care about his character. Don't care where he's from. Just give us a leader. Sounds a lot like the United States of America. So Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for the care and concern that you have for us that you would protect your word so that it would be preserved for us to this day so that we could be in this room in this moment, hear your word, and our lives be changed by your word so that we could be more like you. That's our desire today. We want to leave this place looking more like you. So help us to hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. It's really interesting to me this story because there's a real moment here that if we just kind of read through the story we might miss it and I think this moment happens in the contrast between what the people of God say in verse 10 and verse 15 in verse 10 they're crying out to God for help and God responds and says hey why don't you cry out to the gods that you have chosen I've been saving you for a long time and it doesn't seem to make any difference in your life. You keep choosing other gods. So he says, why don't you cry out to them and see what happens. And they realize, man, we have sinned, God. We have sinned. So their, their language gets, gets an upgrade. And they, they say it different this time. They say, God, we don't really care what you want to do with us. But please rescue us now, in other words, they, they, they move from God, we want peace from you to God, we want peace with you. There's a massive difference in wanting peace from God and peace with God. Peace from God is situational peace. It's, they weren't necessarily at the beginning crying out for God's help because they wanted God. They wanted God's help because they wanted out of their situation. And God is like, why don't you cry out to the other gods to get you out of this situation? I'm not really here to, to save you. What I, what I want is peace with you. I, I don't want a relationship with you that's just about you getting something from me and then you abandoning me. I, I, want, you to, I want you to have a relationship with me that says what you, what you finally come to grips with in verse 15. When you say, I don't care what you do with me. I don't care what it looks like to fall in your hands. I just want you. I'm not really interested in my situation changing. I'm not really interested in the job changing. I'm not really interested in all of that. All of that is secondary to you. God, I I just want you. And I think very often there... In, and it doesn't seem that big of a deal, but it's a, actually a massive deal. And we see it in the New Testament. In Luke 17, the Bible says that there are these ten lepers that are crying out to Jesus for help. And they're, 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 they're crying out to him, Jesus, son of David, They're have mercy on us, please, please hear our cries, God. And, and the Bible says Jesus tells them to go, and as they go, they are cleansed of their leprosy. And he tells them to go see the priests and... While they're walking, one of them realizes that they're being healed, and he doesn't continue to the priest. He actually turns, and he runs back to Jesus, and he's like, hey, I just want to say thank you. I just want to say you're amazing. I just want to say I didn't deserve this, but you did it anyway. I just want to fall at your feet and worship you right now because nothing else really makes any sense. And I love this because it's, a, it's the difference between using God for what he can do and worshiping God for who he is. And that's the distinction. They had been using God for what he can do instead of worshiping God for who he is. And they finally made up their minds, I don't care what happens to me. I'm not interested in that. Because I'd rather be in your hands than in the hands of my enemy. I'd rather be at your will than at the will of my enemy. And, and the Bible says in Luke, it says that Jesus is like, where are the other nine? Weren't there ten of you that got healed? Why is only one returning? And Jesus looks at him, he says, Hey, listen, man, it's it's all good. Your faith has made you well. See, because peace from God can change my circumstances. But peace with God brings me. Close. And what I want, what my heart truly longs for, is peace with God. That's why in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, he said, he wrote this, the Apostle Paul, he said, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. And if all you do is spend the rest of your life trying to get stuff from God, you'll never understand the joy of peace with God, that no matter what my situation looks like, God and I are good. Is there anybody in the room today who's got some stuff going on that isn't good, but because it's good with you and God, come on, it makes it better. Because mm, if I was, life was falling apart and I wasn't sure about where I stood with him, then man, I wouldn't really be able to take life. But even when life falls apart, I know I've got peace with him. And that changes my outlook on everything that happens in my life. So it's a difference, isn't there, between using God and worshiping God. There's a difference in following him after the imminent threat has left. After the issue has changed. After we get what we want. Man, we're really desperate until we get what we want and then when we get what we want it seems like things start to change with us and God is like I'm really not interested in that I I didn't come to be some heavenly genie that gives you three wishes I didn't come to be some spiritual vending machine that you put a certain code in and you get out what you want from it I came for fellowship with you. I didn't come from heaven to earth to make your circumstances good. I came from heaven to earth to make sure that your life with me is good. That we are good. And that your relationship for eternity is secure. Because there are more important things than just what's happening here and now. There is an eternity that needs to be settled. There is an issue that has to do with the rest of my existence. Not just in this life, but for the rest of time that God says, I need to settle that and if I settle that then anything that comes against you you can stand it you can deal with it you can you can comprehend you can you can open up your heart and say God I don't understand this situation but I know you God I don't understand what's happening to me but I trust you God I don't I don't get this but I get you I get you and I think very often we think that coming to God just means that everything in our life is just going to be whoo, just smooth sailing and no issues and no problems and no bad reports and kids are going to behave and marriage is going to be perfect. And oh man, that's just not how that works. He never told you life would be good to you. He said he would be. As a matter of fact, he actually promised the disciples, in this life, you will have trouble. And when God says it, it's true. (laughs) Some of you like, it's truer in my life than, than I want it to be, but it's it's true. It's true. But I love I love what the Bible says. Once they change their mindset about relationship with him, the Bible says God looks at him and he's just like, I can't bear their misery any longer. Think about that for a second, because that means that God is not just watching your misery. He's actually in your misery with you because it affects him. There's at the least there's empathy there. There's concern there. There's compassion. So when you're hurting, he's hurting. So, so in other words, he's saying, I, I was also carrying their misery. Because they were hurting, I was hurting. Because they felt overwhelmed. I felt I whatever they feel, I feel it. I'm bearing it with them. And when God says, and I could bear their misery, in other words, their pain caused me such pain that I couldn't take it any longer. Their grief caused me such grief that I couldn't take it any longer. Their struggle made me it just hit me to a point where I said you know what enough is enough and I'm thankful for a God who doesn't just watch us struggle but he is in the middle of our struggle with us the Bible even says about Jesus that he came and he lived and he died and he came and he lived and he died in this fleshly body just like you and me he was tempted just like we were suffered just like we were do you want to know how to handle loss look at Jesus do you want to know how to handle betrayal look at Jesus Everything that we went through, he suffered and he knows. And I'm thankful for a Savior who knows what I'm going through. And he isn't just off, isolated, up in the clouds watching me. He's burying it with me. He's bearing it with me. As a matter of fact, the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, that God bears it so much with you that when you get to a point where you don't know what to pray, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will start praying for you. Come on, is there anybody thankful today that God is bearing this life, carrying this life with me? Now, this story gets really wild because they, they call on this guy named Jephthah, and, and Jephthah is an interesting character. The Bible says about Jephthah that he's a man of of war. He's a a tough guy, but he's got some family issues. His father was a man named Gilead, but um, he he was uh, the, the product of a relationship between his father and a prostitute. And the Bible says that Gilead had some other sons, and as these sons grow up, they start to push Jephthah out of the family because of who his mother is. Now, they push him so far away that he, he leaves the family. And the Bible says he finds himself running around with a bunch of scoundrels. <laughs> I love it. And then they get into a situation where it's like, we need somebody who can fight. And none of these wimpy brothers want to fight. So they're like, we need Jephthah. So isn't it wild how people... When they don't need you, will find all the excuses in the world to, to keep you out of their life. But when they need you, they will drop all of those excuses. And they will put down all of their perceived morality because they are desperate. Don't, don't ever get yourself in a desperate situation. You'll make some decisions that you regret. That's another thing. But the Bible says that they go and they get Jephthah. And Jephthah's like, this is weird. You guys didn't want me, now you want me. And they're like, well, Jephthah, none of that matters anymore. We are at war. <laughs> you, you know how to fight. We don't. We are not good at this. You are a legend. And so they call him back in and they ask him to lead them. And Jephthah begins to lead them. And the Bible says something really interesting. The Bible says that the spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah in Judges chapter 11. The Bible says in Judges 11, 29, it says the Spirit of the Lord comes on Jephthah and he crossed Gilead and Manasseh. He passed through Mizpah of Gilead and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And the reason they're doing this is because the Ammonites are threatening to attack. And the reason they're threatening to attack is because they believe that the land that the Israelites occupy belongs to them. And Jephthah will give him... Give him his props because Jephthah tries diplomacy at first. He tries to work it out. And he sends a letter and he says in this letter, he says, Hey, listen, this wasn't your land to begin with. We didn't steal this from you. We didn't even take this from the Ammonites. It was the Amorites. You got your ites mixed up, bro. We didn't this isn't this was never yours. Your your name was never on the title here, okay? So he tries to convince him that way. And then he also says, and the only reason we took it is because we were provoked. We were attacked. We were just trying to pass through and the king attacked us. And that's why we have this property. And he's like, and besides the point, you guys have known this for hundreds of years. You had every opportunity to do this. Why are you choosing now? But they don't listen. They decide they want to fight. And it was a bad decision on their part. The Bible says that all this is happening and they're they're going to war. Now Jephthah is advancing. The Bible says this, that the spirit of the Lord comes on Jephthah. He starts to advance. And then Jephthah's life changes. Everything in this story changes. Because Jephthah's got some bad theology. Watch what happens here in verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hand, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. The Bible says that as Jephthah arrives home, the first person to come out of his house is his daughter his only child he doesn't have a son this is his only child he has one daughter the bible says when he sees his daughter he tears his clothes and he cries and he looks at her and says you've put me in a very terrible situation my heart is grieved because of what you've done what she's done And so the Bible g- goes on in this story. She, she's an unusual child. I know if I proposed this to any of my kids, they'd be like, Dad, you are out of your mind. I'm moving out. She's like, she's like, Dad, I understand you have to keep your vow to God. She's like, just give me a couple of months to go into the hills and mourn that I will never marry. I'm sorry, but if I know I'm going to die in two months... I'm not going to go mourn my virginity. I'm going to go fix that problem. I'm not that saved, okay? <laughs> I'm that 16-year-old I'm that, that, was, that was praying, like seriously praying, Dear Jesus, do not come back until <laughs> I have solved this problem of my virginity, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what kind of kid is this? She's like, I'm oh, just gonna go mourn up in the mountains. No, go to the club, girl. What is your problem? <laughs> go, <laughs> what is. Anyhow, I don't understand, but what a great kid. <laughs> She's like, I gotta go mourn. So she goes and she mourns and she comes back. And he, after all of this time, has had all this time to think about it. And the Bible says that he follows through, he keeps this vow, and he offers his daughter as a sacrifice. And as I read this story, I'm like, first of all, I'm like, God, can I just go straight to Samson? Can I skip this story? <laughs> can I preach Samson this week? Because I, I just have a hard time, just like, this is dark, man. This is so medieval. This is so backwards. This is so messed up. This is so weird. This is so archaic. And then I realize that it's actually not. We do the same thing all the time. I mean, we might not actually take our kids and put them on an altar and offer them as a burnt offering, but man, how many people in this room have sacrificed their relationships with their kids to pursue their own idols? How many men and women have sacrificed their marriage to pursue their own happiness? And what I realized is that war... For Jephthah was an idol. And because war was his idol, war is what made him important. And because it's what made him important, human life was cheap. He's desensitized to violence so much that, that, so much that the loss of a person compared to the glory of victory was not a high price to pay. Win, whatever the cost. Be seen, whatever the cost. Get what I want, whatever it costs. And we can sit here and we can mock Jephthah until we realize we are just like Jephthah. Willing to sacrifice whoever and whatever on the altar of what we want. Wow this in our culture idolizes sexuality so much that anything we do anything we sacrifice on the altar of our desires is okay because you have to be true to you you have to be you well what if you hurts people what if you is destructive what if you is selfish because the bible describes and defines what Love really is. Love is not selfish. Love is actually very sacrificial. Jephthah, if you're going to vow to give up anybody's life, it should be your own life. Who are you to think that your life is so valuable that, that the sacrifice of another life is worth whatever you want? You ever been driving down the road and you see the back of a boat and it's like spending my kid's inheritance? Because our culture idolizes self. We are actually, we, we, are, we are actually training narcissists. This is what social media does, by the way. Social media is training us to be narcissists. We go to social media to look at a picture of us, to look at people looking at a picture of us. We go look at us to watch people look at us. It doesn't get much more narcissistic individualistic than that no wonder we live in a culture right now where even the military cannot keep up with its need for people to join the military because nobody wants to sacrifice anymore we live in a culture that doesn't experience empathy like we used to. This is why we're so divided because we can't. It's all about us to the point that we cannot see anybody else's idea, opinion, thought process because it's all about me. And I, I, I look at this story. I'm like, that's so barbaric. It's so archaic. But so are we. We just have the iPhone. We're barbarians with technology. We're the same people who used to kill each other in the Coliseums. We just have technology, so it makes us even worse and more dynamic. And makes our reach and our narcissism even larger. Oh, man. This is why I didn't want to preach this today. I'm like, God, give me Samson. I wanted to talk about killing people with the jawbone of a donkey and make some joke about, you know, what a donkey's name is in the Bible, you know. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. God's like, no, I want you to go talk to them about their idols. Oh, God, yeah, okay, here. Here you go. We, we have, we, we, and don't tell me we don't, we, We idolize sexuality so much that we have turned it into a billion-dollar business in our culture that enslaves young men and women. No wonder sex trafficking is such a massive deal, not just in other parts of the country, but right here in Tennessee. Because whatever we have an appetite for, somebody will feed us. And the only way to get rid of it is to is to stop having the appetite for it to stop making life about me and start making my life about others. I exist for others and nobody should be sacrificed so that I can get what I want. Why is he still keeping this vow after weeks of being able to think about it? After talking to friends and family, he's still committed to it. That's because the people of God had become so engulfed in the culture that they lived in. That they couldn't see the distinction between Yahweh, Jehovah, their God, and all of these other gods. One preacher years ago, I heard him say it like this. He said, he said uh, talking about Jephthah, he said Jephthah had a, a hot dog faith. It's not really anything in particular. It's just a bunch of stuff thrown together. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? It's like a bunch, a little bit of this guy, a little bit of that guy, a little bit of what their teaching was. And this is what Jephthah has. He's got a hot dog faith. In the end, it doesn't benefit you, (laughs) it's got no health benefits. I am body by hot dog. (laughs) Oh. Hot dog faith. It's it's so engulfed in the culture that it's 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 got a little bit of God, but it's also got a little bit of culture. It's got well God said, but my professor said. It's like, I know the Bible says this, but did did you, did, did you, I mean, have you actually read about this other faith? I mean, there's, there's some correlation and I'm, I think that the same God you serve is the same God I serve and, you know, I, I know God said, but I was watching Oprah the other day and it was like, it was really convincing and. And that's what we have in the culture. You know, I, was, I, I, I heard my preacher, but I was also on TikTok, and the TikTok evangelist told me, the YouTube prophet said, and what we have in American culture is hot dog faith. <laughs> because in, in Jephthah's mind, for years, he's been, he's been serving other gods. Remember, God says to the people, well, why don't you serve the God?" He listed seven different gods of seven different nations. Each nation had its own gods. And God said to the people, you serve all of them. Why don't you cry out to them for help? And they've been serving these gods for so long that they don't even know how the one true and living God operates, how he works. They've forgotten that the the law actually teaches us that we are not to sacrifice our children on the altar. That's what Deuteronomy tells us. Don't offer your children as sacrifices. But here we are. We've got, we've got a book that tells us what to do, but we're not, we're not looking at it. We're not examining it. And it's just, it's just another book in a myriad of books and resources and, and websites. And, and God is like sitting back like, hold up. I've already give, gave you my spirit, Jephthah. Did you not catch that? The Bible says that the spirit of the Lord was on Jephthah. He is advancing in battle. And then he makes this vow. He's already got the thing that gives him his favor. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He didn't work for it. He didn't sacrifice for it. It was a free gift of God's grace. You're talking about a violent man that comes from a dysfunctional family. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord was on him. Not because he asked for it, not because he begged for it, not because he offered anything, but because God is so kind and so gracious that he said, I don't care what your family history is. I don't care what your background is. I choose you. It's an act of favor. And here is our issue. We don't know how to deal with the grace of God. We keep trying. We keep trying to explain it away. So it's like it doesn't make any sense. I'm not really sure about it. It can't be all there is. So uh, here's my child. What I don't want. Your children. The law says. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Don't offer your children as sacrifices. With burnt offerings. But he doesn't know God. And because he doesn't know God, he thinks that our God is like all of the other gods. He feels like he has to earn God's favor. So much so that this is even what his kids believe. Can I, can I plead with you to... to to please, please don't teach your children a works-based, your sacrifice, your giving, your serving, your goodness-based salvation. That will make it, when that girl should have ran and said, my dad is crazy out of his mind. She's like, no, you're you're right, dad. You got to keep your vow to God. I'm going to go up in the woods and cry about it for a couple months. When we have idols, those idols don't just affect us. We teach that idol worship to our kids. Our idol worship has devastating effects on the people around us. We pass on those values and we'll have our kids running around thinking, For some reason, God is like us. Happy one day, sad the next. Angry one day, upbeat the next. Grumpy another day, excited the next. And they'll assume that God is like us. If you teach your kids anything, teach them that God is nothing like you. Nothing like you. Because God says, on your best day, you're still evil when compared with me. He says, if you, even the best of you, you know how to give good gifts to your children. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... It doesn't even take a smart man to give good gifts out. It doesn't take a good man to give good gifts out. An evil man can do some good stuff every now and then. God says... You are evil compared to the love that I have for you, for your kids, for your family. If you do anything, you tell your kids, hey, listen to me. I've got good days and I've got bad days. I'm not everything I should be and not everything I want to be. But I want to point you to the one who is. I want to point you to the one who will never fail you, who will never let you down, who will never forsake you. I'm going to try my best to represent him to you. But when I don't, I, won't, I don't want you to think for a minute that God gets mad like I get mad. I don't want you to think for a minute that God reacts the way I react. I don't want you to think for a minute that my, his love is conditional. Sometimes like my love can be conditional. At the least, my attitude is conditional. My gaze is conditional. The looks I give are conditional. But even when we blow it, when we turn to God, he's not up there looking at like us as parents do when our kids figure it out. Like with the, I told you so face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I told you. His face is the same. His outlook is the same. His joy is the same. His Compassion is the same as love is the same as acceptance is the same. He does not want sacrifice. He wants faith. The only deal God will make with you is his righteousness for your faith. That's the only deal. The story shocks me because the Bible. It hurts because it's just like you already had his spirit, Jephthah. You didn't need anything else. You didn't need that empty, vain, conceited, narcissistic, idol worshiping vow. Hosea 6 and 6, the Bible says this I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. 1 Samuel 15 and 22, the Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. Micah 6, 6 through 8, what shall I offer God? He's like, Should I offer God my animals? Should I offer God my firstborn? And the response is this He says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Nowhere in this relationship, are we to offer sacrifices for God to be pleased with us? Matthew nine thirteen, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Judges 12 and 7, Jephthah, the Bible says, led for six years. Six years. This is the first time in the book of Judges that the deliverance is shorter than the oppression. Every other deliverer, the deliverance lasted longer than the oppression. But in this case, the deliverance is only six years. The oppression had been 18 years. Isn't that interesting? That's because... That's because if all you want from God is for your situation to change or Him to give you what you want, then your oppression will always last longer than your deliverance. Because so many of us will stay oppressed in our soul and in our mind because the circumstances haven't changed. And I'm I'm not oppressed because my circumstances haven't changed. I'm only oppressed because my mindset hasn't changed about my circumstances. And if, I, if all I see God is the one who just changes my situation, then of course my oppression will last longer than my deliverance. Because most of life is spent in a struggle. It is. As a matter of fact, when you read stories throughout the Bible, you read stories in the New Testament, most of the time people got out of a struggle. They went right back into a struggle. Hey, you won this fight. What's your reward? Another one. (laughs) It's like a DJ Khaled song just keeps happening. Another one and another one and another one. I wish you could come to church and I could lie to you and say, hey, man, when you give your life to God, it's going to be trouble free, bro. And, and uh, man, if you'll just come to church more, things are going to get better in your finances. You know, if you would pray harder, your health would be. That's a bunch of pie in the sky. That's a false theology. That's the expectation of idols. If I'll offer my kid, you'll give me victory. If I'll give you this, you'll give me that. And so we can live our life with God like it's a transaction. Like showing up to church is some transaction we make with God. If I go to church, that means Monday's going to be really good. And if I like really get wild in worship, like if I throw my hands up, then I might even make it to Wednesday. <laughs> right? But it's not transactional. We receive God's love as a free gift. We receive God's favor as a free gift. What does he want from us? Just believe that I gave it to you. Just believe that it's available. Just believe that my sacrifice, what Jesus did on the cross, is enough for you. I don't want your burnt body. I don't want your kids' burnt body. I don't want your spouse's burnt body. I already took care of that when my son sacrificed his body to the point where he became unrecognizable, didn't even look like a human anymore. That was all for you so that you can come to church and not feel like, man, if I don't lift my hands or if I don't give or if I don't pray, if I don't do this, God's gonna... No, I want you to come to the house of God with the expectation that my favor is already on your life, that my goodness is already on your life. You're not coming to get it. You already possess it. I'm not, I'm not living for God to love me. I'm living from the love of God. I'm not, I'm not living for God to forgive me. I'm living from the forgiveness of God. It's a change of mindset that says, hey, I don't want peace from you as much as I want peace with you. I just want you. It's tough, isn't it? Because we are way more influenced by our culture than we like to admit and we can really wind up with a faith that really isn't faith at all here's what happens to so many of us we many people either assimilate or isolate when we're in a culture like ours we either get really caught up in it or we isolate from it and God hasn't called us to either one of those assimilation, looking like the world, or isolation from the world. The Bible actually teaches something very different. It's called separation. It's, it's not the same thing as isolation. It's in the world, not of the world. It's what the apostle means when he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we we preach this to students all the time so they won't date unbelievers, but that's not really even what it's specifically. About It says, What agreement can exist between the temple of God and idols? He says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He's not asking you for isolation. He's not asking you for assimilation, God is asking you for separation. That word means to be set apart, to be different, to be unique. And so, so many times we see that, and we think that it's got, it's 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 just talking about, you know, uh, man, don't go to bad movies, and don't smoke this, and don't. That it's be distinct. It's the the culture says says that your only value is in how many people follow you on social media. God's already assigned your value because of what He's done on the cross. That's 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 the mixture that I want to talk to you about this morning because I think so much of the other stuff the 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 things that we think are the big things that everybody does, the big sins, all of that is connected to just falling in and believing the lies of your culture. If you can believe the truth, that is, you don't have to even have a social media account to matter. You can have an old flip phone and still have to text with hitting the number three times to get to the letter you really want. You don't have to be seen. You don't have to be recognized. You don't have to be noticed. You you already are intrinsically valued because number one, you were created in the image of God himself. And so I don't have to sacrifice anything to get anything because I already have everything. So I I came to you today to, to really challenge you. I know sometimes we can read the Bible and be like, man, it's just so archaic and that's so we would never and, but i think we do i think we do very often sacrifice things that are really important on the altar of our pursuits whatever it takes to win whatever it takes to be seen whatever it takes to be to feel good whatever it takes to, and that's just not the biblical pattern for us anything that we get our identity from, but God will eventually want sacrifice from you. It will eventually take something that you love from you. If God isn't your God and money is, money will eventually take things from you. Relationships, integrity, because it'll make you sacrifice for it. Because it doesn't have the power to lay down its life for you so Father in Jesus name thank you that really truly and honestly none of my value none of my identity is connected to anything that is man made and all of my value all of my identity comes from you It doesn't come from my friends. It doesn't come from my relatives. It comes from you. And So help me not to live a transactional life with you. Help me to live a faith life with you. Faith receives. Faith receives faith receives. The job of of the believer is to receive. The job of the believer is not do, do, do. The job of the believer is to believe that it is done. It is finished. Nothing to prove. Nothing to hide. No one to fear. Because your spirit by your grace is on my life. Before I ever do anything to obey you, you pour out your grace in my life in the same way that before, ever, before Jesus ever laid his life down on the cross, before he ever did one miracle healed one body. There we find him in the waters of baptism and the sky opens up and the Bible says, the Father says from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus ever did a thing for you, the Father already was declaring his pleasure with us, with him. Without faith, the Bible says, how do we please God? Oh man, faith, believe. The disciples said to Jesus, we want to do your mighty works. What do we we have to do to work the works of God? Jesus looks and he says, just believe. Help us to not overcomplicate this gospel to the point where we are living a transactional life with you, God. But help us to be receivers by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the room, will you stand up on your feet today? Can we give God a praise that salvation is received, deliverance is received, favor is received, blessing is received. It's not earned, it's received. It's not deserved, it's received. So we receive your grace today, God. Help us to see you correctly. In Jesus' name we pray.